we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. If you were alive 20 years ago and you were in an adult in any shape, form, a teenager or an adult, you, you remember exactly where you were, what you felt, what you experienced. Uh, the world was shaken. A lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of emotions. And it's amazing what happened without social media. There was no strong prevalence of social media on Tuesday night, because it happened on a Tuesday, and here at Pathway, then it was St. Matthew, it was no different. The church house was filled. People were running to the church that night. At 7 o'clock, it was standing room only. We had the back doors open just to try to accommodate everybody. And people just had a, a need to know that there was something they were standing on that would not be shaken. That God could still be trusted. That when it feels like the world is collapsing around you, that God is still sovereign in the midst of the storm. That God is in control, that God is with us. That God is not the author of evil. That God is a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of compassion. And he is with us, even in the midst of. So I want to read here just a portion of the scripture that we read that night, 20 years ago, to begin this time together. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. If you're here this morning or you're watching online, you're from a hospital bed, you're, 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 you can't get out, you're in your home, you're in the hospital, you're battling COVID, I mean, you're fighting somehow, but you're watching, you're listening, please hear this again. Our God is a God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Here's what we're saying this morning, Pathway Church. We do not want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced in the United States of America 20 years ago. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that some of us despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. But this happened 
that we might not rely on ourselves, but rely on God who raises the dead. And on that day, we were reminded that we rely upon God, not upon towers of glass and steel, not upon prosperity, not upon any precedent, not any governing party. But our hope is in God and in God alone. We are very fortunate this morning to have a gentleman who was in New York City working in that area right there where the Twin Towers were to come and share his story of faith, his story of hope. And so I'm going to ask you to give a, if you're in the house and even online, down at the bridge and over in the sanctuary, a pathway welcome to Darren Kinder. Darren, come on up here, and uh, we welcome you to Pathway Church this morning. Good season, bro. Good season. Okay, Darren is in the secret service. That means he's got lots of secrets. <laughs> Could you just tell us one? No. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think so. But more importantly, Darren is, uh, he's, uh, he's a husband, he's a dad. We got a picture here of, of his family up here. Uh, Not bad. Yeah, a pretty good looking family. Can you kind of real quickly kind of introduce us to, to your crew there? Yeah, those are my four sons. Um, I should probably know their names. Uh, Samuel there is on the end. He's uh, on the left. And then on the other end, is he's uh, 15. On the other end is Nathan. We call him Nate. He is uh, 13. And then Ben is in front of me, he's 10, and young Daniel is in front of my lovely wife, Heather. Uh, he is 8, and, uh, and that's my wife, Heather, of, gosh, 23-plus years. 23-plus years. And uh, even more importantly is that Darren is a follower of Jesus Christ, and so he comes to share his story of that day on 9-11, but also to share... You know what God did in his life. So, without any ado, I want—I just want us to get to the meat. Hey, let's go. Let's go back to that day at Tuesday morning because that's where a lot of people are this morning. They're thinking, they're remembering where they were, what they experienced. Tell us your story, could you please? Sure, sure. Uh, I was in the World Trade Center. My office—I uh, worked for the Secret Service at the time, as I do now—and uh, my office was in the World Trade Center. We were in Seven World Trade Center, which is the third third tallest building in the complex. Um, there were seven buildings in the complex, and the two towers obviously were in the middle, and then we were uh, Seven World Trade. Um, there's a new Seven World Trade now, but Seven World Trade then was just right across the street from, uh, from the North Tower. And, um, and I was there. We, we had a big, huge office meeting that day, this really important thing coming up, and we were all wearing suits and stuff, and I had just finished exercising in our gym, and I had my suit on, and we were uh, ready to start the day when we felt a rumble, felt a shake, and... You know, moments later, we were being told to evacuate, not knowing what was going on. So I just went outside, me and a bunch of coworkers, we climbed down the nine steps, uh, nine floors, and I, and I walked across, and from here, you know, maybe to the, to the sound booth there, maybe a little further, is the North Tower, the north side of the North Tower, where that first plane had hit. But you didn't know didn't know a plane no, had Didn't hit. know it was a plane. I'm no looking clue. up, I'm seeing flames pouring out, and all I'm thinking of, Rick, is that's, that's not an accident. Uh, that's not a gas leak or something. I don't know if it was my training or my, just my instinct. I was like, you know, I knew, I'm a, I'm a student of history. I knew 1993, they already tried to bomb, uh, bomb the World Trade Center and bring it down. So I knew, I just thought that was bombs or something like that. I did not know that 737 uh, had crashed into the building, nor would I know that for 
the entire day, to be honest, uh, which led to a lot of my poor decision making that day. But um, so we just, you know, we just, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're just going to do the next thing. That's part of my message is, man, sometimes you just got to, you just got to do the next thing. Whatever's in front of you, not knowing the bigger picture. And we certainly didn't know the bigger picture. We ran upstairs. We grabbed these huge first aid kits that we had for work. And we just grabbed about 10 or 15 of them, came down to the street. We saw the uh, ambulances and so forth uh, were, were marshalling uh, about a block away on the West Side Highway. We said, go, let's do that. So maybe 20, 30 of us, I'm not sure how many. We all just started, started working, just started doing the next thing. You know, I'm, I'm working on this woman who has a really badly burned arm. Uh, she had been, <laughs> if you can imagine, she had been burned by jet fuel falling from the sky. That was on fire. And she was burnt almost to the bone. I didn't know what to do. This paramedic is, you know, kind of yelling over his shoulder, telling me what to do as he's working. And I'm just focused on her when, bam, just a massive, massive explosion happened. An explosion that knocked me to the ground. I didn't know what had happened. I'd look up and I'd just see flames everywhere. I see debris. I see parts of the plane that I didn't know was a plane. Uh, it, was just, it was just madness. It was, it was just crazy. Now, you know that second plane came in lower than the first plane, which is why, which is why that tower came down first. But I didn't see a plane. I didn't hear a plane. I was just so focused. Now, mind you, I'm about 60 to 70 yards from the base of that south tower. So danger close is not, not even, not even putting it, putting it in, in, in a good context. So uh, we all just, we just scattered. All of us scattered like ants for cover, and um, I found myself under this metal portico with, with two other coworkers of mine, two other agents. And one of them said, "We just need to go in the world. We need to go in the World Trade Center and help people get out." Okay. Let's do the next thing. Let's do the next thing as a team, as a unit, mm-hmm. right? And so we just dodged our way across the street, went into the lobby. <clears throat> of the World Trade Center. We running around a little bit. Uh, we, we, we veered to the left, so, so we're in now the North Tower, uh, the North Tower, the first tower that got hit, and um, we found a stairwell with people evacuating it down, and we said, okay, let's, let's start going up, and we just started going up, and we got to about the 10th floor or so, and we encountered a woman who was, she was physically spent. She could not, her body would not let her evacuate any further. And she was just slumped over in the corner. And people, Rick, people were just passing her by. Hmm. Passing her by. Come on, man. That's one of God's children there, right? So I said, hey, you two. You two keep going. The the guys I was with. You guys keep going. You keep looking. I'm going to grab her and take her down. I'll meet up with you. So I grab her. I get maybe a few steps. I realize I can't do this on my own. And I grab just a random stranger, literally by the collar and said, hey, you're helping me. And we, we carried this woman 10 flights down. And we handed her off to some, some paramedics who were there at the, at the lobby at the, ba- at the base level. At that point, I said, I need to go find my guys. And that's really a lot of my motivation that day. Um, I said, okay, let's, 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 um, let's, let's go up. So I started climbing the stairs again. And they were trickling down. And uh, it was pretty, pretty orderly, I would say. Um, but I got up to about the 30th floor of the North Tower. Now, there's about 100, and, if I remember correctly, 110 floors. Got up to about the 30th floor. I saw a door opening, uh, swaying like someone had just entered. So I said, oh, let me go in there. And I popped my head in there, and I looked down the hallway, and it's an image I still have blazing on my mind. 
It was just walls to wall, about 30 New York City firefighters just slumped over, just beaten and bloodied and, and black with soot and sweating. They had been in the fight, you know, and they were regrouping, re-equipping. I don't know. It just struck me. People, those people are made differently. They're just made, we're all a masterpiece. We're all a creation. That's Ephesians 2.10. We can agree on that. But, man, these people are made differently. And I said, hey, anybody, you guys see two Secret Service agents running around? And they're like, yeah. I said, great, where? And they're like, I don't know. Like, I don't know which way they went. I'm like, okay. So I had a decision to make. I decided to go back down, climb the 30 steps, uh, flights back down, and uh, kind of go outside and try to regroup, try to find some, some colleagues. <clears throat> As I'm leaving, Rick, I hear their commander say something to the effect of, all right, that's it, let's go. We got to go back up. I'm leaving. Normal people are leaving. And they, they, I didn't know the totality of the scene. Admittedly, still at that point, they did. And they went up. They went, they, they were, there's no doubt in my mind that they are part of the 412, that they are part of the 412 first responders that did not make it that day. And I, 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 whenever I, I speak like this, I want to take just a moment to honor them because that's, that's uncommon valor. And they knew. They knew. They knew. They knew. Yeah. They knew. And they did it anyways. Wrap your head around that. So I left. I went back down. And somewhere in there, I don't know where, I encountered another person, another woman who could not uh, evacuate herself. Helped her about halfway down, and she got her, she got her third or fourth wind, and, and she was able to take herself down the rest of the way. And I just got out there, and I was in the lobby again. And um, I, I made the decision that I probably regret, I do regret to this day. Um, I decided to call my wife. Now, because I saw a bank of payphones. Remember those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of you younger folks, Google that. Yeah. Not right now, but later. I saw a bank of payphones, and I called my wife, and I called her collect. Oh, that, that's even more ancient. And um, I spoke to her. We had a very brief back and forth. And I said, I'm in the lobby of the World Trade Center. I'm okay. I'm helping people get out. I love you. I'll see you soon. Now, what she didn't know was that I, I, at that point, I left the lobby. I decided to go outside and try to find, try to regroup with some, some coworkers. <clears throat> and she didn't know that. Thirteen minutes later, the South Tower collapsed on national TV. And I know it was 13 minutes because I had the phone record a month later from that collect call. And in that 13 minutes, she had called my family. She had called her family. She had called friends. I heard from Darren. He's in the lobby of the World Trade Center. He's okay. And every one of them watches that tower fall. And she's convinced I'm gone. She would later say that she left. After about an hour, she'd leave the, the condo, uh, and she took a walk. We lived in Hoboken, New Jersey, directly across the Hudson River from, from lower Manhattan. And she walked to the pier. She looked out at the pier, literally right across the river, at all the carnage, the smoke, the destruction, and thought about what she was going to do with the rest of her life. But I wasn't in there. I was on the outside. I was on the corner of Church and Vesey Street, right on the corner of the complex, when I heard a, a high-pitched metal-on-metal screeching weird sound. 
And I said to a police officer, what is that? And she said, I don't know. And just as I looked up, I saw the top of Tower 2 buckle and begin to fall. Now, I am less than 100 yards from the base of that tower. Game over. That's my first thought. I'm gone. My second thought, which I'm convinced was the Holy Spirit, was run. <laughs> and I listened. And I ran. I just started running as fast as I could. Back then, I was pretty fast, Rick. But I'm running. And it just, it was, it was, no, it was no use. It was just, I hear the, the pancaking of those floors, each one louder. And then I hear the freight train, just the of that cloud. And, man, I'm in the intersection. I see a fire truck. And I was like, self, get under that fire truck. Get under there because the world's coming down on you. I took a step in that direction. And for reasons I didn't know then, but I do know now, I kept going straight. And then maybe less than half a block later, I see a coffee cart. I see like a donut truck. I said, get under there because it's getting worse. And I took a step in that direction. And then for whatever reason, I just kept going straight. And then right after that, the cloud took me. And the day became night. And my, my mouth, my eyes, my ears, everything was just uh, uh, filled with, with junk and pulverized concrete or whatever. But right before it took me, just large chunks of debris which started falling all around me. Then it took me over, and it sounded like cars falling out of the sky. So I'm running. I'm still running in the darkness. I'm tripping. I'm falling. I'm hitting things. After about 30 seconds or so, I'm, I'm out of that danger zone. And I see this strangest thing. I look out of the corner of my left eye. I see sunlight. Sunlight. I walk across the street. I can't tell it's a street, but I walk across the street. And now I realize I'm looking north up an alley, and at the other end of that alley is sunlight. I'm like, yeah, out of here. Let's go to the sunlight. But the Lord stopped me in my tracks right then and there. Because I can't, I got to describe to you, that, that cloud suffocated. It's like a blanket. It suffocated all noise. Except for the screams. The cries in the darkness. The... I'm hurting. Someone help me. Where am I? I can't see. Please, somebody come to me. Where am I? These kinds of things. And I just stood. I stood. I stopped. I turned around. I stood at the top of my injured lungs. I began to yell, follow the sound of my voice. There's light this way. Follow the sound of my voice. There is light this way. Go to the light. You following me? <laughs> And, and people started making their way to me, 10, 10, maybe 15 people finally made their way to me. And as they made their way to me, I would just shoot them up the alley. Go, go north, go to the light, go to the light, go to the light. Brothers and sisters, ain't that a beautiful metaphor for our role, our mission on this earth is to point people to what? The light. The light of the world. We are the light of the world. We carry that. We are ambassadors of light. So if I would just take a pause in my story right now, I would encourage you. I would challenge you. In all walks of your life, in your sphere of influence, be the man, be the woman pointing people to Jesus. Be the man, be the woman pointing people up the alley. My, you know, Matthew 5, he says... Uh, he says that we are the light of the world, a city upon a hill. Let your light shine before men. 
That's our goal. That's my challenge to you. Like, this story, I've got your attention, right? This story's a crazy story. At the end of the day, it's a story of survival, brothers and sisters. Each one of you, if you are a professed believer in Jesus Christ, you have a far more significant story. You have a story of salvation. We sang about it in that song. This is my testimony from death to life because grace rewrote my story. I testify by Jesus Christ, I'm righteous, I am justified. This is my testimony. Love that song. What is your story? What is your testimony? You want to know how to bring the light of Christ into this dark world? Start there. Each one of you has a story of salvation. That's an easy place to start. <sighs> Take a breath. Breathe. Yeah. yeah. Sorry I got fired it's up. Okay. That song fires okay. me up, Rick. It's okay. It's a good song. Yeah, it is a good one. Yeah, I heard you singing. Yeah, you, I bet you did. You didn't <laughs> like it. I'm sorry. The spirit moves. So, so back to the story. You know, the, the time between the two collapses was utter chaos. I'll just give you a couple of examples for, for time's sake here. Just, uh, you know, I, I carried a woman down the sidewalk who had a, her femur was sticking out of her leg. And we, me and another man put her in a shopping cart and literally pushed her another block to an ambulance. I saw, <laughs> I saw a man stagger, bewildered across the street just to get hit by an ambulance going down. I mean, just utter madness. But I also saw acts of kindness, acts of compassion. I saw people coming out with waters, jugs of water, just rinsing people's eyes out. I saw people coming out of convenience stores or, or pharmacies with arms of first aid equipment and stone it on the ground and, and start taking care of other people right away. Right away. Untrained people. Untrained people. People that were just doing the next thing that was in mm-hmm. front of them, that were answering that call. Mm-hmm. Just like at 846 when the first plane hit, the men and women, those 412, answered the bell. Todd Beamer. Are you kidding me? Let's roll. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to let any more, I'm not going to let more people suffer and die. We're going to take over this plane. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> ordinary people. Ordinary people with an extraordinary testimony and story. It's what's inside of each one of us. So, man, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know why, but I end up on the same corner of the same intersection at Church and Bessie when I hear a strange metal-on-metal high-pitched screeching sound. You're thinking, not the smartest guy in the world, right? Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 I know what that is. I'm gone. I started running earlier, but right as I start running, I hear it again. The pancaking. The pancaking of those fours. And then I hear the freight train again. But this time I'm running north. I'm able to just barrel through a revolving door and end up falling into the lobby of a bank. And that cloud just goes by. And at that point, I hear someone call my name. And I was like, what? And I turn around, and there's two of my guys. Amen. I got a team again. Two two different coworkers that that had taken refuge in the same lobby. We lay, wait about 10 or 15 minutes. We go back out. Uh, we go back out, and we just form a search party. It was about seven or eight of us looking for people, and unfortunately, we were just finding bodies. Mm. And um, uh, we're, in the corner of, we're in the intersection of Church and Vesey, and brothers and sisters, I just want to put this upon you. The Lord put me on my knees in that intersection because I looked across the intersection, and I saw that fire truck that I was going to slide under. Guess what? It was obliterated. It was flat on the ground. The wheels were out. Had I gotten refuge under that thing, I, I would have been dead. 
I, I, I walked a half a block to find that coffee cart that I was going to get on. I couldn't find it. And so much destruction. I would have been dead. So I didn't know then, but I certainly know now that the Holy Spirit was guiding my steps that day and saving me for a purpose. You know, Proverbs says that the heart of a man establishes his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps, right? I take that very literally. He was, he was saving me for something later that he would reveal to me later. And, um, and so then we're in, this, uh, we're in this intersection, and I just want to put you there for a moment. Everything is on fire. 200 floors of office space just collapsed. Every office has a lot of paper, right? Paper everywhere on fire. My shoes at the end of the day were melted. My pants were like three or four inches shorter because I kept getting, they kept catching fire. Ambulances, police cars on fire, gas tanks exploding. It's my vision of what hell must look like. And it was just, it was utter chaos. And, and in that intersection, there is one fire truck that is not damaged. And one of the guys I'm with, a coworker, says, hey, we should hook up a hose to that fire truck and start putting out these fires. Honestly, my first thought was, that's stupid. <laughs> I can't figure it out. Well, how are we going to? The other guy, before I can finish the thought, says, I used to be a volunteer firefighter in high school. I bet I could figure it out. I grab the hose, those two start doing something, they, they do the right thing, and all of a sudden water starts coming out of this thing. And they join me on the hook, and we become this, this amateur hour, three-man firefighting crew. Pretty entertaining. I, I mean, if it wasn't, there's a picture of it, which I'm not going to share because it does look like we're complete amateurs. But um, it, what, what were we doing? The answer is we're just doing the next thing. Mm-hmm. We're just getting one more. That was alluded to earlier. It's going to go get one more. We're going to put out one more car fire. Because whatever we could do in that intersection, if we cleared that intersection, maybe more emergency vehicles could come in and the real professionals could show up. We're just doing the next thing. And um, eventually, you know, we, we stop. I look up. I don't know how much time went by. It may have been an hour or two. I don't know. But we look up and I say, guys, I think we're in the way. And they look up and you know, there was just firefighters, real professionals all over the place. And they were these big, intricate hoses and shouting all these commands we didn't even know. Was, and we're like, yeah, I think we need to back up here. We're, we're kind of, so we kind of backed off, and we did a couple of other things. We searched. We did a search party through the mezzanine level of the World Trade Center until part of that collapsed, and we had to evacuate there. And at, at some point in there, we encountered a fourth colleague, a fourth coworker, and he had a... Um, he had a radio. He had one of our Secret Service radios. So he knew where the new rendezvous point was, where all of our office was reassembling. And so we all ended up piling into his car, driving north about 20, 30 blocks to the rendezvous point at uh, Chelsea Piers where, where, um, where I was uh, able to, to get there, get some basic medical care, you know, oxygen, get everything flushed out, change of clothes, bandaged up a few wounds. And... Um, <clears throat> It would, not be, um, it would not be until maybe, it all started at 8.46, right? It would not be until about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon when I was able to, to board a uh, NYPD police boat to take me across the Hudson River to the town that I lived in, in, um, in Hoboken, New Jersey. Now, I should say, many of you are probably wondering, what about your wife? Um, during that firefighting 
escapade there, um, I was able to get a, a cell phone. I saw a firefighter using the cell phone, and he let me borrow it, and I called my wife. Um, and, uh, and, well, she wasn't home. She was on the pier trying to figure out what she was going to do with the rest of her life. But to hear her tell the story, when she comes home and sees that little red light blinking, remember answering machines? It's like a history lesson. To hear her talk about hitting that button and hearing my voice, it's a, it's a testimony in and of itself. Yeah. And, and tell us, Matt, I want to hear again, it just, just really touched me when you knocked on that door and you mm. walked in the house. Can you relive that for us? Sure. You're trying to get me emotional. No. Uh, I knocked on the door. I didn't have my keys. I lost them at some point. And she opened, and we just embraced. I mean, we just, I don't really think there were a lot of words said. I don't remember saying anything. I just remember crying. She says that we fell down. I don't even remember that. It was just, it was just, it was just pure love and gratitude that did not need words. And, you know, I, I failed to mention this earlier, but think of how I looked when I, when I showed up. I was beaten. I was bloodied. I, was, I had just stuff all over my face. I had stuff in my hair. I had, it was 20 years ago. I had hair. <laughs> And, and um, I know some of you don't believe anything I just said now. You're like, no, nah, I don't believe him. Um, but she just, she didn't, she didn't reject me. She didn't say, go clean yourself up. Go fix yourself first. Uh, she just embraced me. And is that not the condition that we all come to when we first come to Christ? Beaten, bloodied, in our tattered rags of our sin. And he doesn't reject us. He doesn't say, go clean yourself, go fix yourself, go, go conquer that one sin you've been struggling with. No, no, no. He doesn't do any of that. He takes us as we are, right? Amen. He takes us as we are. He, embrace, he gives us that embrace of grace that she gave me. <clears throat> then he gives us a new heart. We become a new creation. He starts knocking down walls and doing all kinds of fun, exciting things in our lives. But he takes us as we are. And she took me as I was. And it's beautiful. It's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, to, to me, it's a beautiful metaphor today. Okay, two, two questions here I'd like you to respond to before we kind of bring this to an end. We got a whole generation, weren't alive then, or maybe just old enough to kind of have a recollection, but really don't get it. What do they need, what, what, what would you say to them that they just need to grasp? What, 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 what would it be for them? That's a really good question. I would say this. Um, and many people may not want to hear this, but to the younger folks in the audience, to the younger, uh, younger people, especially believers, I would say this. Evil is real. Period. And then number two, history has a, num has a, has a really nasty way of repeating itself. I used to be a history teacher, right? I, you know, this, would you believe that uh, one, at one time in our nation, uh, an invading army burned our White House to the ground? War of 1812, right? And then in December 7, 1941, almost the entire Pacific fleet was decimated in one, in one morning, Pearl Harbor. And then something like 9-11. Hey, young folks, evil is real. And number two, you may be, answer, you may be called upon to answer the bell. You may be called upon to respond with a heart of service, especially Christian young men and women 
to be powered by the Holy Spirit and the love and the compassion of Christ to enter in. Be ready. That's what I would say to the, to the young crowd. Be ready to answer the bell. Okay. And the other is just to our, to our congregation as a whole, in light of you know, the past 20 years of your own life, what you've experienced and what God has taught you, what would be a challenge or what would be just kind of a point of bringing it all together that you would want to say to us this morning, a word from the Lord? You know, I asked the Lord that question for five years. Lord, you have my attention. I should be dead. I get it. I shouldn't be here. What are my orders? And for five years, he gave me silence. Very frustrating. And then he spoke to me. He said, let me use you. Let me use you. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but it was a great relief, right? I said, okay, Lord, I'm in. You're going to use me. You're going to use this story. You're going to use this experience. I didn't speak about this for 10 years. Maybe seven or eight people in the world knew this story for 10 years. And then he just started to, he put a, a fire in my belly and a message on my heart to share, to bring the, in this awful story, in this awful experience of this awful day, to bring the light of Christ and to bring a gospel message. So that's my story. So what I would say is this. Hey, there's a, there's, a, there's a part I left out of the story on purpose. When we, the four of us, went back north uh, in the city and we got to our rendezvous point, I, uh, we, we entered, there was the four of us and there's a few other guys that are just all beaten and bloodied and tattered. And I look across the room, maybe where that audio booth is now, and I, lo- I was looking at a group of colleagues, a group of people, people that I knew in clean suits, perfect hair, shiny shoes. And they're looking across the room at us, and I can see the expression on their face. Where have you been? Me and the guys I was with, we're looking across the room, and what do we think? Where have you been? So here's my challenge, brothers and sisters in Christ. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. The scripture says our life is but a whisper. Something like 9-11 should teach all of us that. Wouldn't it be a shame? Wouldn't it be a shame to end your walk on this earth, to, to leave this world when your days are up? Wouldn't it be a shame to be in a clean suit? I'll hearken back to the song we sang earlier. I'm not dead. God's not done. You're not dead. So God's not done with you. And I would say, get your suit dirty. Whatever the Holy Spirit, whatever he convicts you of, whatever moves your soul, whatever issue, whatever struggle, whatever pain, whatever suffering in this world, in the community, in your church, wherever it may be, whatever stirs your soul, Act upon it. Roll up your sleeves and get your suit dirty. Bring the light of Christ into the darkness. The culture's darkened. It's only getting darker. Right? Uh, my friend, like, she's this metaphor. He said, you cannot enter a dark room, open the window, and shovel the darkness out. Correct? That's not how it works. You got to what? Bring the light in. So I would say get your suit dirty. Bring the light of Christ wherever the Spirit moves you. 
Don't die in a clean suit. The time is now. The time is now. Can we say thank you to Darren for being here and sharing his story with us? Stand, you can be seated, however you want. We're going to be here for another couple of minutes. Uh, you know, we've all had towers in our lives fall. Something in our family, maybe it's a health issue, a relationship issue. We've all been overwhelmed by something. And if that's you this morning, if you are feeling overwhelmed and the darkness has just, I want you to hear the message of God's love and God's light for you, that he is for you and he is with you. And he will stay with you as you walk through whatever it is you're experiencing right now. Some 20 years ago, one of the vivid memories I have, the United States of America, is that after the towers fell in the weeks to come and the Pentagon and the plane crashed, is that we truly were one. We were united, weren't we? There wasn't a lot of Republican and Democrats hating each other and sarcasm and dinging and There wasn't a lot of things about beating up on that color and that color and that color and that nationality and those people. And we actually appreciated the police and the fire departments. I know we're just one small little church in a big old nation. But as your pastor, I haven't asked for you. Please stop being a part of everything that divides us. Please just stop the rhetoric. Just Please just stop the sarcasm. Please just stop the blaming and the shaming. Please, please just stop and be a part of pointing people to the light of Jesus Christ by the way you manage your own life in the very dark world. Be a part of the solution, please. I'm going to invite you to stand. If you're watching at home, you want to stand, you can. If you're wherever you are, where you are in the world, you would bridge down, down there downtown Fort Worth. You want to stand, go ahead and do so. And I'm going to end by just reading the first two verses of the scripture that we ended that night on 20 years ago. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength. An ever-present help in trouble. And therefore we shall not fear. Though the earth gives way. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. And the mountains quake with their surging. We will not fear. Because we stand on the truth of who God is. And we live in his life.
God, we thank you for your great love for us. That on the cross, you defeated evil. That on the cross, you declared a victory. That in the empty tomb, God, we are reminded that death cannot have a hold on you. And nothing we experience in this life can. And we thank you for hope. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for grace. We thank you for the gift of life. And we thank you for your great love. So that I pray you would continue to touch hearts and change lives and use us to point people toward the light that is Jesus himself in this church and around the world. And God, we'd be remiss if we didn't now ask you today, in this time, to bless our nation. God bless America. Land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam, God bless America. My home, sweet home. God bless America. My home, sweet home. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.